31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour Engel. The Undesirables, Marcel Close, 45,400, Antoine Corticiato, 45,372, Jean Cadry, 46,028. Today is the 6th of July, 1942. 1,175 men have been walking from the Royal Yukon to the Compiègne train station. They have no idea where they are heading, probably another French or German camp. Some have been told they might be going further east. They only know they have been selected as hostages after some sabotage on the order of some general. This makes little difference now. Some of those men have been hostages for so long, whichever new camp they are heading couldn't be different than the previous one. They are prepared. They are organized. As they all stop in front of the train, the hostages regroup. There are the communists from the city of Caen, the Parisians, the northerners, the remaining French Jews of the Royal Yukon, the ones who met in Ancourt or Clairvaux, Rouillet, Vauve, etc. We meet familiar faces, Paulin Coutelat, René Cronier, Christophe Lemeur, Robert Lambotte, Robert Philippot, René Lefebvre. And there is another group, a very peculiar one, a little more on the side than the others. Everyone calls them the undesirables. The wagons are high. It takes time and energy to get in. Hostages help each other as much as they can. The German soldiers do the opposite. They push. They even hit sometimes. Eventually, each wagon is filled. Yet so many hostages are left on the station. Everyone expects another train to arrive. This won't be the case. The soldiers push harder. Everyone has to get in that train, no matter how cramped they will be. This is a nightmare. Inside each wagon are about 60 to 70 men. There is barely any space for 50. The wagons are dark and dusty, with only a few openings for fresh air. You would have to be tall or standing on a few luggages to reach those. In the middle of the wagon lies a massive oil can, the restroom. Everyone hopes for a quick journey. They have barely enough provisions for a day, and people will want to relieve themselves, whether the train stops or not. Resisting can mean many things. Its first meaning is to inform. The thousand men haven't been able to tell their families they have left Compiègne. This needs to be addressed. Some of the hostages were working in the train industry. They know that if a message is thrown on the tracks at some specific points, with a little bit of change attached, an employee could deliver it. So as the train departs, everyone is already busy writing a letter, hoping for it to be transmitted. The train goes north. Everyone wonders if they are going to Mourmelon, maybe Belgium? Resisting also means protecting, taking care. 
In such harsh conditions, some have less provisions than others, some are weaker than others. Most of those men know one another, they have spent months together, some even years, and they are prepared for such a situation. Organization is key, and every wagon leader does its best to organize things. The first issue coming to mind is the heat, as it's July and the place becomes hot very quickly. So a role is set up. Everyone can take turns and enjoy the fresh air of the small windows. Then food is gathered and shared as equally as possible, with a little extra for the weaker members. As for the toilets, well, the old can is moved to a corner. Nothing can be done about the smell. The train passes Reims. It seems to be heading for Germany. Not to panic. The hostages know it's a possibility. Some of their members speak German. They can keep their system of organization even in German-speaking land. Some of the hostages have no intention of going to Germany though. They have no intention of staying in any camp or working freely for the Germans. Plus, they don't feel trapped inside this train. This train looks like an opportunity. An opportunity to escape. There are several ways to escape a train. The simplest way is to jump as it still runs. Now this is so obvious that even the German soldiers would be expecting it. Which is why some of the wagons have turrets with armed soldiers to look out for such an event. Shoot, if necessary. Every wagon has also been warned that if anyone attempts to jump and gets caught, there will be consequences for the others. Executions even. In a way, the hostages become hostages to themselves. When René McKinnon tries to jump, other prisoners hold him tight. They don't want to become consequences to his actions. Jean Le Boutelier and Félix Bouillon want to give it a go anyway. They wait for the right moment, for the right train turn, where the tourettes can't quite see. They saw a hole on the ground, jump, land on the tracks as best they can, and they lay still, hoping no one saw them. It works. Felix and Jean are free. Only for a few hours, though. German soldiers find them walking on the train tracks. They are sent right back to the Royal Yukon. But wherever this train is going, it's going without them. Not so many people try. It's too dangerous. You would have to be fearless to accomplish such a feat. Probably a little crazy, even. Inside another wagon, Marcel Close, Jean Cadry and a few others are that right amount of crazy. And Marcel has a seesaw in his luggage. One he made out of scraps of metal from his own bed in the Royal Yukon. So they saw and it takes time. The wood is thick. They manage to create a hole, small, just enough for Marcel to slip in. He gets under the wagon, holding tight, waiting for the next stop, for the right moment to let go. The train stops in Metz, close to the German border. There lies another opportunity for whoever has the will to escape. You will just have to jump out of the opening, avoid the soldiers, Mix with the crowd waiting for their commute. It sounds easier than it is. It's terrifying. And the chances to get killed are very high. Julien Abbesset and Antoine Corticetto give it a try. 
they jump on the station and here they are, in the middle of the crowd, hoping not to get caught. The crowd turns against them. A crowd who only sees prisoners trying to escape, men who might have done something terrible, intruders who should stay in prison. The German soldiers are alerted. Antoine panics and attempts to run. He gets caught. Julien Besset doesn't panic. He barely moves. He blends in. He escapes. Inside the train, Jean Cadry looks for his Marcel and can't find him. He disappeared. Jean fears the worst for his friend. He probably fell or got killed or who knows, maybe he escaped. Jean fears he will never see Marcel again. And after he heard Antoine got caught, he closes the hole. No one would dare to escape again. The train departs. It will soon reach the German border. Inside the last wagon of the train, Antoine is tied to a seat. German soldiers take turns and hit him. They want to teach him a lesson. Marcel Close is tied next to him, his face swollen too. He took his chance in mess as well, but the soldiers called him right away after commuters denounced him. Undesirables, inside and outside the train. Two months ago, 18 men were moved from a prison to another camp. They have been arrested for different reasons. Julien Besset was arrested for burglary, Jean Cadré for weapons possession, Antoine Gorticciato for illegal drugs and weapons possession, Marcel Close for stealing. They became hostages. They were deported because their country didn't want them anymore. They were undesirables. Thank you for listening to this episode of 31,000, the story of two trains, of French members of Resistance. My name is Mathieu Landau-Rengel, and so far I haven't talked much about the women resistance. As it is a chronological project, they will appear later on, starting episode 24. This episode is centered around the Undesirables, which are a group of prisoners deported as French criminals. They had committed various crimes, escaping, smuggling, thief, and so on. I mentioned a few people in this episode, Marcel Close, Jean Cadry, Antoine Corticciato and Julien Besset, they were all undesirable. I have had the chance to discuss with Sabrine Mounier, the daughter of Jean Cadry. She took the time to tell me about her father, his life, his deportation. I am very lucky as she kindly shared with me many documents regarding her father. The reason for his deportation as undesirable is a little unclear. He may have escaped a prison at one point. He was arrested for weapons possession by the German authorities on his way to Paris from the city of Nice. He didn't have any ties with the Communist Party, although he had many ties with various resistance groups transporting weapons, helping members of the resistance hide his flat. I personally believe that the authorities weren't sure whether he was an active member of the resistance or um, a criminal. Therefore, they classed him as an undesirable. I also had the chance to discuss with Paul Philippi, a documentary director who made a great piece about the 45,000 and several other pieces about the Corsican 45,000, including Antoine Corticciato. 
He made a lot of researches. He kindly shared those with me. We had a great talk, and I can only recommend these pieces, What Will Remain, or uh, Ce Qu'il En Restera in French, and mini documentaries named Lifelines or Ligne de Vie in French. They're absolutely amazing. The letters that I mentioned were mostly sent to the families, fortunately by employees of the French train line, which is a testament of their kindness. The first letter was sent by Roger Debar and received by his father within a half hour. Apparently, Roger knew that by throwing the letter at a specific point, it would be very close to where his father worked. A few notes about the train. The wagons are made of wood, the doors stand in 1 meter 30, they are very high to reach, and you don't have any steps or any help to get in, apart from help from the uh, others. The windows are high and very small, reaching the windows is already quite hard, jumping from it is a feat. There is a barrel in the middle which is used for relieving yourself. It can get very hot inside, it can reach sometimes 40 or 50 degrees. And in July, well, July it's terribly hot in there. So the conditions inside were dreadful. Maybe some other trains were even worse. Those types of conditions really didn't improve over time from what I've read. The SNCF, the French National Train Line, obviously participated in the deportation to the east as they provided the trains used to transport people. Yet it must be pointed that the SNCF made no financial gain in doing so, so it can't be considered as a financial transaction. It was rather a forced order. Three persons escaped from this train journey. As I mentioned, Félix Bouillon and Jean Le Bouteillet jump out of the openings and lay down the tracks unnoticed by the guards. They were arrested a couple of hours later and were sent back to Compiègne. Félix Bouillon was freed on the 8th of January 1943, Jean Le Bouteillet on the 11th of February. Antoine Cortichato and Julien Besset attempted to jump on the Met Station, which was an impressive escape. Only Julien Besset escaped and he disappeared in thin air. Apparently he was known for burglary and he kept on burglaring in later years. I have been trying to find Marcel Clos's relatives as well as Jean Le Bouteillet, Julien Besset, Jean-Antoine Corticiato. Unfortunately, my research was unsuccessful. If by any chance you know of someone related to their families, please let me know. I would be very pleased to get in touch with them and make sure the text I wrote doesn't contain any errors. My sources for this episode are the book Red Triangles in Auschwitz by Claudine cardon amet the website Mémoire Vive, and an episode about the 2nd of July 1944 train from Compiègne by Dominique Prusac, directed by Laurent Polrich. Thank you very much for your attention. Next episode will be about Raphael Manello and the Exodus. Thirty-one thousand, forty-five thousand. The story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landor Engel.